Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at ADCES24.org. Hello, and welcome to the ADCES podcast, The Huddle, conversations with the diabetes care team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Kirsten Yale, Research Manager at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Before we get into today's episode, I have an important announcement. August 2020 marks one year of the huddle. We've enjoyed bringing you the practical information you need to optimize care and support your clients. Now we need your help optimizing this podcast. Please fill out a short survey at diabeteseducator.org forward slash the huddle. If you submit your survey by August 30th, you could receive the newest edition of the Art and Science of Diabetes Care and Education desk reference. Learn more about diabeteseducator.org forward slash the huddle. And now on to today's episode. An increasing number of clinicians are leveraging technology to improve their services and improve their clients' health. But are they using technology in a standardized way? Are they working towards optimized results? Former ADCES president and certified diabetes care and education specialist, Dr. Deborah Greenwood, joins us to discuss the latest ADCES Perspectives and Practice paper, which focuses on optimizing tech-enabled diabetes care. You'll hear about the purpose, focus, and goals of this paper, and learn about the Identify, Configure, and Collaborate, or ICC framework, which can help you optimize the use of technology in any practice setting. Deb, welcome to the huddle. Thanks, Kirsten. I'm really happy to be here. Well, we are so happy you can join us for this conversation about the new technology paper just out in TDE, you know, especially because you're the lead author. So before we jump into our discussion about the paper, I'd love for people to hear a little bit about your background and experience. Sure. Thanks. So I am a nurse, diabetes educated by background. I started working at the Jocelyn Clinic hundred years ago. Uh, I was, I've been a clinician. I've been a quality manager for ADCES accredited programs. I worked at Sutter Health for a long time in various roles in improving diabetes quality. And then I had really begun to get interested in technology, initially like EHR technology and how we could use it to be more productive and to increase access And so I ended up deciding to go back to school and get a PhD. And so during that program, I was focusing on the use of technology. So I was definitely an early adopter. And this is like 15 years ago. And when I started thinking of all of this and, you know, focused on remote monitoring and how to really empower people to use technology in their own care and how to use their own data to really learn about, you know, living with diabetes. And then when I finished uh, school, I just really wanted to stay in the technology field and after a few years became a consultant working with technology companies 
you know, really trying to ensure sound DSMES principles were included as people were developing technology, that a diabetes care and education specialist was involved in technology development and adoption. Okay, so early adapter perspective, um, been in technology for a little while. What was the catalyst for developing and publishing this paper, which is really focused on optimizing technology? So I'm going to go back up a little bit. So in 2015, I had the great privilege of being president of what is now ADCES. And when I was president, we were working on our strategic plan. And so I really wanted to bring technology kind of front and center for the association and for educators. And so at that time, we started a technology work group, which is actually now the technology committee. And then fast forward 2017, I co-chaired the revision of the national standards. And while we were doing that, we did a kind of a separate literature review to make sure that we incorporated technology into the standards. While we did that, we realized there was a lot of evidence and a lot of literature out there. So at the same time we were working on the standards, we decided to do a systematic review of technology-enabled self-management. And that paper was published in 2017, which um, we created this technology-enabled self-management framework, which we fondly called the TESS framework. So that paper has been fortunately well-received and a lot of people have downloaded it. And it's kind of, I think, helped us to see while we were creating this kind of model around technology-enabled self-management, there was a gap in how diabetes care and education specialists can actually apply the principles from that paper and chronic care model and other models, can actually apply them into practice And so we kind of did some thinking around what would need to be done to try to look at the application of technology in a systematic way. And so that's kind of how we ended up with the current paper that we're talking about. So would you say that the TES framework is the catalyst? Yeah, you know, I really feel like there's been like this kind of forward motion evolution. Mm -hmm. A few years before that, some other colleagues and I um, did a like an enhanced version of the chronic care model that really focused on technology. And when we were writing that paper, we really were kind of focused on the use of data and pulling in the informatics model into that and identifying the need for this complete feedback loop. So at that time, we already understood that there was a need for a feedback loop, but we didn't really have kind of the evidence to say what we really wanted to say. And sort of unknowingly, when we did the systematic review, this kind of test framework sort of fell into place, right? We had the data to say, when we look at all these studies in the systematic review, what features were incorporated in studies that had successful outcomes in lowering A1C? And so from there, we identified these four key features, which is the use of two-way communication, right? The incorporation and ideally analysis of patient-generated health data to then tailor education, individualized care, along with this personalized feedback loop that continued. And so that was sort of our like aha moment, like, okay, we now can see what's happening in these effective studies. So we use that in kind of two ways. We use it as a way to evaluate technological systems, right? If you're going to look at digital health, mobile health, are these four key elements there? And how do you optimize them? 
And then it's also a way for future research when you're building technology to look and see, are we incorporating these features? Well, and I love hearing you talk about the enhanced chronic care model and then the TES model, because they're both around that area of mobile health, which you're really an expert in. And so many times when I talk to people, you know, just in general about diabetes technology, the focus is really on device technology. And, you know, the big picture or the big landscape of diabetes technology is really what you're talking about with these models, the TES model, and then the ICC model, which I think you're going to talk about in a little bit, uses device technology. We know that. So the the mobile health optimizes the device technology? Great question. I think what we really wanted to pull out is that historically, diabetes care and education specialists, when they talk about technology, typically their mind goes to the devices, right? The CGM, the pumps, et cetera. And while that's important, right? And while our model requires devices, whether it's to generate data, to analyze data, to provide medication, that's sort of one piece of the pie. And then when we think about it in a global perspective, it's the data on the use of these devices that is incorporated into this larger model. And that model, we like to think of as a more of a care model of using technology, right? So it could be technology-enabled self-management, or it could be more of a population health framework, right, where technology is driving uh, segments of population. But I think a big goal in this paper was to sort of elevate the conversation that when we talk about technology, that we need to think of both devices along with the broader care model. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. Would you say that the technology is extending the ability of diabetes care and education specialists to serve people with diabetes? Would you say that maybe that's one of the goals of the paper? Yeah, definitely one of the goals of the paper. So, I mean, I think, first of all, we know that most self-management occurs at home, right? People are self-managing on their own, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365. So technology can really assist them in self-management. At the same time, diabetes care and education specialists can incorporate technology to improve access to care and education, to augment their care and education in between clinic visits. Again, we're talking that the model of care, um, to really prevent or reduce therapeutic inertia. We know it's, it's very well documented that people are not adding medication when needed. I mean, there's a lot of things that are happening in the kind of current traditional world. We're using an A1C to make changes, right? Every three months. This is an opportunity, having constant access to technology and data to really hopefully improve that or reduce that therapeutic inertia. And our hope, this paper is helping to do this in a systematic way to make it easier. Coming from the TES model and the enhanced chronic care model, you and the authors of this paper developed a really cool model that kind of shows off the big pieces of this paper. It's called the ICC model. Can you walk us through that? Yes. The ICC model, Identify, Configure, and Collaborate, is really a way for diabetes care and education specialists and really any clinician, any healthcare professional, to optimize technology-enabled services in a standardized way. And we really believe diabetes care and education specialists are well-positioned to really kind of take 
the lead in this role to advocate for technology integration and adoption and using this framework in practice. And as I said, not just for individuals, but also for populations. So ICC, again, identify, configure, collaborate, is a process. And um, there's a lovely infographic. And so if you're looking at the infographic, you'll see that there's a gray arrow and they go both ways because we don't want people to think about this as a linear process or even a circular process, but that it's ever evolving as one technology comes in, you might be in one part of the framework, and then as it's an opportunity for a new technology, you might be in a different part of the framework. So we really want it to be very flowing to really help people wherever they are in the process. So the first phase is identify. We want to identify the right technology for the right person at the right time. But I think what's really key here is a discussion. And we talk about using shared decision-making in the paper. So hopefully listeners are familiar with that, where you discuss kind of all options. And then together, the clinician and the person with diabetes decide together on what's the best technology for them for their needs, right? You focus, there's definitely an assessment piece that's involved in there. I think a key when we're looking at identify is to really Again, have that shared decision-making so that no healthcare professional bias is included in this process. How do you think we begin to alleviate that bias? I mean, we know it exists and we know that bias causes therapeutic inertia. Is getting more comfortable in using technology an avenue there? Or what do you think? What are your ideas? You know, it's a really good question. I think there's not one answer, right? I think it probably depends on the person. But I I think recognizing there's bias is probably the first step. And if anyone attended the ADA virtual scientific sessions in June, there was some fabulous presentations on bias. And one speaker that talks a lot about bias in technology and identifying that there's a huge lack of access for people of color, for people low SES, older adults, due to provider bias, basically making assumptions that certain individuals would either not be able to use technology, would not be able to afford technology, would not understand technology. It's really a shame because the reality is many people can use technology and trying to take that individual bias out, I think is essential. I think when I look at identify and I think of assessment, I also bring it back to our position paper on the four key times for DSMES. I think we could think about identify in the same way, right? Anytime a new diagnosis, an annual assessment, not meeting goals during transitions, et cetera, that's a time to think about, is there a technology that can support the person with diabetes and the care team to help overcome what's going on or make their life easier, right? Improve outcomes, improve quality of life. Well, I think we're on the right track here, just even talking about it in this context with technology. You know, what I've learned just by talking with diabetes care and education specialists and listening to them, that this group, this profession is very aware. So simply by bringing it up here, I bet you can lessen and alleviate some of that therapeutic inertia. Yeah, that's certainly one of the goals of of the work that we're doing. So what about these next two? There's configure and collaborate. Yeah, so configure is the process of helping the individuals set up the technology based on 
you know, what the needs of the technology, as well as the user preferences, right? What will work for them, the treatment plan, the need for ongoing support. You know, there's, we identify some particular areas in the paper to think about. And it's really helping the person with diabetes have the technology work best for them to ensure their success, right? So it's not just simply which features are you going to use, but really, again, you've already done that assessment and identify, but now you're like, okay, now which features might be best? A simple example might be you know, someone new to CGM and you know they're having challenges with hypoglycemia. So when you're setting alerts, you're going to choose alerts based on maybe identifying them when their blood sugar is higher so that they don't go too low, right? Or maybe if their blood sugar is high all the time, you're not going to initially start them off with a high alert that's going to make their alarms go up all the time, right? That's going to make them frustrated and not want to use technology. So you're really trying to create this process so that you can build success. And I think when you're also thinking about configuring, again, we're beyond devices. What if you're engaging in a virtual coaching app, right? What features there will help them be successful? Maybe they want to start off setting goals, but maybe they don't want to chat with other individuals, you know? So trying to learn how to help them be successful when they're learning how to use technology and also helping to establish a plan for when they might need to reach out again to you and to reconfigure the technology. And then finally, collaborate. And collaborate is kind of the big key area here, right? This is where you are having data-driven conversations. And this is where the data becomes so important because those data are really shaping everything. Right? They're shaping the education because now you're, you're making education meaningful because you're tailoring it based on their individual data. Or if you're doing populations, maybe segments of people on their data. You're continuing to use shared decision-making as you're having these conversations, but everything is really meant to be important and meaningful to the individual, right? And this is where we can put that test framework into action, right? Because we're going to have two-way communication. We are going to use the patient-generated health data in whatever form we're getting, you know, ideally analyze where they're showing us patterns and trends, you know, future state, or even some now use AI to make that even better synthesized data. And then you are, again, as I mentioned, you're individualizing education, you're tailoring things, it's personalized. And then this feedback loop that keeps moving as they make changes and make changes to their care plan or changes to behavior or medication, you keep evolving. And then you look at data as things change. And that is definitely an ongoing cycle. Well, I love this, the awareness, the setting people up for success. Can't wait for people to put it into practice. So one example of how this framework is very fluid is, say, for example, you had someone who was starting off on CGM, right? You've identified the right product for that individual with the right goals. You've configured their settings. You're collaborating. Now they're interested in coaching and you, you'd go back maybe to the identify phase where you look at what options are available, see maybe which ones their insurance cover, what features the different coaching has. Do they want a live person? Are they okay with automated? And then you would configure that. But maybe now you think they need a, a smart insulin pen. So you would kind of go through these stages based on what technology was available and what was needed and where the healthcare team was discussing. 
if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. It just reminds me, you know, listening to you talk about the diabetes care and education specialists and how they can leverage this technology, it really creates a picture of the DCESs as trailblazers or leaders. I mean, is that intentional? For sure. (laughs) You know, I think diabetes care and education specialists are like one of the first group of healthcare professionals that really use data, right? We've been using data way back when, you know, blood glucose monitoring was first initiated as a way to manage diabetes. We were using patterns and trends from finger sticks. We were helping people make changes to their behaviors by doing pair checking, you know, checking before and after meals. So we have always been using data. That's been the cornerstone of our practice. We understand data. And so I think diabetes care and education specialists can really help uh, the whole care team to learn how to incorporate data into practice. We know that as people engage in, say, primary care, those visits with their primary care providers are short, right? They're often only 15, 18 minutes. Diabetes care and education specialists are very uniquely qualified to look at data ahead of time, analyze data, generate thoughts, and then share those thoughts and those ideas and recommendations with the healthcare team that they can then maybe incorporate into their treatment plan. And that hits on something, you know, that area that's really fascinating to me in thinking about artificial intelligence and that, you know, the diabetes care and education specialists work so closely with the person with diabetes to really understand their behaviors. And that's what is driving a lot of our technology change these days. But okay, that's just my tiny crystal ball, but I would love to hear about your crystal ball. Where do you see technology in the future and the role of the DCES with technology? You know, it's really interesting. The fact that this is coming out now in this time of COVID-19, I find this also fascinating because all those barriers of why we couldn't do it or why we couldn't add technology, you know, that people weren't trained to do it. It would take too long and all these issues. And now like overnight, we have access, we have remote monitoring and we are doing telehealth and we're using data. And the experience is actually improving care already. I had a conversation with a clinician recently that she was saying that now her visits are much more productive than they used to be because of telehealth, they're planning ahead. Whereas in the past, someone would come in, she would download their data, they would look at it, or maybe not. Maybe they would forget to bring it. They wouldn't have access to, say, BGM or CGM data, and they would waste a lot of time. Now they're prepared. So a day ahead, they're making sure they have all the data they need. They're pre-populating EHR fields. The clinician is looking at the data before the individual comes, often getting some input from the diabetes care and education specialist. And then that 15 to 18 minute visit is now incredibly productive because you're starting from the point of collaboration. You know, just hearing you talk a little bit about COVID and telehealth and remote monitoring, do you think telehealth will push remote monitoring for all people with diabetes and even, I'm not quite sure how often it's used for um, people with type 2 diabetes, but do you think telehealth will have the opportunity to push remote monitoring? I hope so a lot. Um, Unfortunately, you know, there's always the issue of reimbursement and what that entails. And so while there's not always access, I'm hoping right now people that are using 
for example, CGM in areas that aren't technically FDA approved, you know, like in hospitals. I'm hoping people are doing studies right now to be able to collect data to prove cost effectiveness, you know, to prove improved outcomes so that then we can keep moving remote monitoring forward. Because remote monitoring really, I think, is the key for improving therapeutic inertia and just having constant access to data, the ability to make changes in a reasonable amount of time. You know, kind of the world that we live in is typically, you know, an A1C is done every three months. And if you're seeing a healthcare provider every three months, you know, there's always reasons why your average might be high. You know, I've been to a wedding and so I was eating more than normal or I traveled and I was doing more than I normally had. And so my A1C has been high. Give me opportunities and let's wait a few months. Let's wait a few months. And so you can easily see how a year can go by before medications are changed or behaviors have changed. But when you have remote monitoring, you have the ability to see things in real time and you have the ability to see things a week, two weeks later, three weeks later, and you can make changes that are really based on the data. And I think that's the goal. And um, I think that this is hopefully what we're going to learn from this crazy time right now. And hopefully we won't go backwards. Yeah. And when you were talking about the increase in remote monitoring, number one, I love the way you talked about people seeing their data in real time, because that is if when people are living it, that might be what actually makes them change instead of hearing it retrospectively. Yeah. I think there's a huge opportunity for people with type 2 diabetes who are not even taking insulin to recognize how much their blood glucose can change based on their behavior. I think it's a huge educational tool. And I think if someone then is involved with, say, a mobile app that has coaching around that, again, whether it's real live, whether it's artificial intelligence, but if you're taking data and you're putting some context to it and you're helping people in real time make decisions, there's huge opportunity for learning. Uh, one of the recent presentations, Dr. Rich Bergenstahl talks about thinking fast and thinking slow and how there's kind of two ways to look at data. And thinking fast is the real-time data, right? So what do I do today? What do I do in the moment? What do I do now? But then thinking slow is that retrospective look at data, really looking at patterns and trends and trying to like kind of understand the framework with which within your living, what were you thinking? You know, how is everything kind of coming together for you? And I think remote monitoring can really do that. I love that the more data we have and the more fast and slow thinking we're doing, we need more diabetes care and education specialists. That that amount of data is just going to create a need for more healthcare professionals in this field. What do you think the, the big calls to action should be as we leave the listeners? Oh, that's always so hard because I think everything's so important. But um, I would say when you read our paper, I would say that's number one. <laughs> read our paper and learn about this systematic approach to technology, right? Identify, configure, and collaborate and try to think about how you can incorporate this into your practice. I think even more importantly is thinking broadly. Again, when try to evolve. So when people say technology, you think of a model of care, right? So don't go directly to the device, but think about technology in a technology-enabled world, right? That it's more than the device. It's how do we have a care model that increases access and that is sustained through the use of data? 
Um, and I think just learn how to optimize the services you provide, whether it's at the individual level or the population level, and really appreciate what data can do for yourself, your system, your clients. I think understanding the value of data will really help move us forward. Well, I love this. You are leaving me thinking broadly in a technology-enabled world. So I truly appreciate that. And I know our listeners will too. And Deb, thank you so much for doing this interview, having this conversation. And I would love to do it again sometime. Thank you so much. And you know, before we hang up, I just want to also thank the co-authors on the paper, Fran Howell, Lorian Cher, Gretchen Youssef, yourself, Kristen Yale, Joanne Rinker, Diana Isaacs, and Melinda Peoples. Thanks again for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. If there's one key message to take away from today's episode, it's that technology means a lot more than just devices. Follow Deb's cue to think of technology more broadly to help the people with diabetes in your practice optimize their treatment plans. Make sure to read the new paper at diabeteseducator.org forward slash technology integration to learn the full systematic approach to technology. If your team could benefit from customized training on topics like CGM, insulin pump therapy, and pattern management, ADCES workforce training can help. Visit diabeteseducator.org forward slash workforce to learn more about this training today. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.